Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Welcome, everybody, to the For the King podcast, where Jesus is um, recognized and exalted as king. That's what we do here on this podcast. That's the name of the podcast. That's what we hope to do every single episode. And uh, what I just read from you is Pilate questioning Jesus. Are you really the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, You said it. You know, you, you said it. It's out of your own mouth. I don't even have to tell you. Like, you already know it, basically. you uh, These people have offered me up as that, that I'm claiming to be this. So the fact that you even have to ask is an indictment against you. Um, and Jesus is the king of the Jews. He's also the king of the Gentiles. And, oh, wait, let's put those together. He's the king of the world. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's right. Cosmos. That's objectively true. Yeah. Well, I don't believe that. It's objective. It doesn't matter what you believe. <laughs> so there's our little intro. This is what we're talking about this week is, um, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. Uh, we had to talk about relativism. Speak English. <laughs> we talked about relativism last week, and we did hit on the objective nature of truth, that truth is not relative to human understanding but is objective on something external to the human. And for the Christian, the external truth of reality is found in God's word. But is that only for the Christian? No, it's not. Great question. And that's also kind of the big point. If it, if it truly is objective and the Christian recognizes where it comes from externally... And the um, non-believer pagan does not give honor to God. He so dishonors God because it's already written on the image of his being that he recognizes that they sh- they recognize they should be believing this. They um, they have no excuse before God. Um, with all their faculties of mind and reason being darkened, they do not see God clearly, and they have no um, they have no rebuttal to God when He charges them that you should have known me. Even the Amazonian jungler, wait, in the Amazonian, <laughs> is that how you would say that? The, the person Amazonian. that lives in the Amazon jungle, an Amazonian <laughs> jungler, <laughs> I don't think it would be that. The Amazonian tribesmen, um, even those people that are, uh, we think, cut off from society that have no chance, they knew better. That is what the Bible teaches. They understood there was a God. It was enough to condemn them, but not enough to lead them to God. Um, and because of that, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness and do evil things because they're a law unto themselves. Because they don't have the law of God that they know they're transgressing, but they still are convicted because they're a law unto themselves. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 1 and 2. Okay, so basically the point is this episode, truth is objective. We hit on this last episode. Now we want to push push the uh, agenda further of the objectivity of truth based in the Christian worldview that it's found in God's word, but it is binding on all humans is the point. Good. Any other intro? That was like the whole podcast. That is. We're gonna, I, I, that's, it's called the thesis. I just laid out the thesis of the podcast. Um, if you already agree with everything I just said, turn it turn off. Turn it off. Turn it off. You already know all this. 
don't waste your time. Go read a better book than listen to this podcast. Go read Calvin's Institutes of the Christian Religion, if you already know this. Don't listen to this podcast. That's We're trying our best here to do good information and to help you guys learn some stuff, but there's there's always better resources, to be honest. But Bryce and I, we're trying hard. He's trying hard. I don't know if Bryce is. He just kind of tags along and opens his mouth, and sometimes it's good most of the time. Sometimes not. it's not. Nah, not sometimes. <laughs> I'd put a higher probability on that. <laughs> just kidding. We love we love Bryce. I have got some harsh comments, though. People have sent some emails and just really critiquing a lot of the stuff you say. Is that right? No. No, that's a lie. Forgive me. Okay, so let's get into it. We got a few texts for you guys today from the scriptures, and Bryce and I will commentate on the scriptures so um do you want to read yours first or me uh sure i can go first okay um so this comes from acts chapter 17 and the reason this is significant is because paul is addressing philosophers at the Areopagus, and essentially he is indicting them for a false worship because they're not basing their standard on the objective truth of god who he is and him being close to them is what Paul's eventually going to say. So I'm going to read a couple different sections in this passage, and let's start at verse 23. So, so Paul says this, For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, the worship of these philosophers, I found also an altar with a, this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. So Paul is showing that there is this mutuality in them understanding this objectivity yet Paul has a greater revelation a Uh greater light from the gospel that's been handed to him by Jesus Christ go see Galatians 1 and 2 for that yeah and uh, wait real quick note uh, that mutuality John Calvin talks about um all people know God as creator not all people only the elect know know God as creator and redeemer so this mutual understanding that all humans have is that there is a creator Right. That is that's the big point. Yeah, exactly. And that's what Paul's gonna end up getting into. So he indicts him for a false worship and he says that God, the one who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth, again, this is him coming to the to their level. Their level of understanding in terms of the mutual understanding of a creator yep. as God supreme over all things, yet they don't know him, right? Because they had as an inscription the unknown God. Paul says that this God He does not live in temples made by hands, nor is he served by human hands. So what's Paul doing here? So they have some level of subjective understanding that there is a creator of the universe, but it is entirely robbed of pure objectivity of having the the complete intimate knowledge of who that creator is. And what Paul's doing here is he's saying, no, he's not served by human hands as though he needed anything since he, since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. So Paul's saying, I know something that you don't know, and I'm going to pass that on to you. Yeah. Here's some objective knowledge that I am now giving to the pagan. Yeah. Right. So again, this is not something that's just laid up for the Christians. Christians are to take the objective truth, just like Jesus says, I am the light of the, not Israel, I'm the light of the, the world, right, of the whole cosmos. Jesus is that revelation of who the Father is to the whole world, to the Gentile nations as well. Um, So Paul's doing that exact same thing to these philosophers. He's saying, not only do you not know him, but now I'm going to reveal to you who this God actually is. And he ends up saying, 
Um, a little bit later down uh, on verse 27, so he's talking about how God made every nation from one mankind, which would be an, a, so easily deducible, right? You don't need the scriptures to understand that we come from one mankind, right? Evolutionary theory, just it's firmly planted in midair. There's no basis for it at all. You would be able to deduce that there is, uh, um, you know, a start, a start, right? A male and a female that would have begat it. Yeah. Um, essentially. So there would have been this already common understanding based upon deduction. So he's saying, again, the mutual understanding. And he says in verse 27 that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. Right. So, again, this is a mutual understanding based upon the common grace that God has given all mankind that they have some level of a of a of a god but it doesn't get them to Yahweh. Exactly. And this is what Paul is doing here is that he is essentially telling them who Yahweh is and he's going to help them to understand that their idea of worship is false and that's why he says in verse 30 um he, that God commands all men everywhere to repent and to believe in the gospel. So this is the whole... This crux. is Acts 14, right? This is Acts 17. Oh, 17. Okay, yeah, gotcha. This is Acts 17. Yeah, so this is, again, a really big piece that Paul of the puzzle that Paul's fitting in for them right here because not only is their worship false, but even though they have their own subjective experience of what is true, Paul says, yeah, that's wrong. You need to metanoia that. You need to repent of that. You yeah. need to turn to Christ. So this is already just completely destroying the idea that subjectivity, having a passion for religion, is really all you need, right? Yeah, exactly. Like Kierkegaard would say, right? You just need this uh, existential, passionate experience that is indescribable, Yet Paul is indicting that very exact idea. Exactly. That your worship can be false. Yeah. And the, the subjectivity comes in um, for the, the person that has no objective understanding of truth as they fashion idols in their own image. And that's why Paul says, you guys have made this, you know, that you guys have this God, this God. And then he ends up saying, um, you know, this unknown one, I'm going to tell you this unknown one that trumps all these other ones and actually destroys all these other ones. But he says, God is not served by humans' hands because they fashion idols in their own image to serve them in ways that they think the God ought to be served when God's revealed himself to us and the, what he requires of us. Um, so yeah, Calvin talks about that too, that because of our darkened minds, this mutual understanding of creator, it becomes so darkened that there actually is not this, um, there's the common understanding of creator, but there's not the common understanding of what's required and what, you know, the, the, um, actual revelation of the scriptures revealed to us about God, um, and in their darkened mind, they're always going to fashion these idols into their own image. And then it's going to be, they, they're going to suppress a lot of truth and in, in unrighteous things. Right. Um, and Paul comes, and ultimately Jesus comes to save the day with objective truth. Right. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And even God was saying this all throughout the Pentateuch, like, you shall have no other gods before me. God comes with the objective truth and saves the day. Right. Um, Jesus is the objective truth that saves the day. Right. From this objective uh, tendency in humans to fashion idols in their own image, which is subjective. I have I have an idol for what I think I ought to reflect. 
as an image bearer of God. Um, and that's why in Romans 1, Paul says they exchanged um, the glory of God for images of creeping things and things on earth, um, created things in their own image. So, Right. Yeah. Anything bounce off that? I thought that was good. You agreed with every word I said. Yeah. Wow. I know, it's usually... Hopefully we don't go back and listen to that and hear something heretical. It's usually the other way around. It really is. It surprises me. My jaw's on the ground. All right, so we're good there. Um, this is the objective truth that Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the New Testament's attesting to. Um, John the Baptist... I mean, God himself, like we laid out last episode, brings the objective truth and kind of like what I just walked through. But uh, just to continue pushing the point further, that to make... Any liberal Christian that's listening to this podcast that thinks that you can pick and choose scripture or you can come up with uh, you know, a God in your own image and not the God of the Bible as he's revealed um, himself to us, if you think you can do that, like hopefully we just nip this in the butt altogether. Um, John the Baptist in Matthew 14 uh, says this to Herod. At the time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because John had been saying to him, as in this is a recurring thing he's rebuking Herod for, it is not lawful for you to have her. So, Herod has um, his brother Philip's wife, as in sexual relations, like has her. Um, and John the Baptist, uh, a follower of Yahweh, a, uh, adhering to the scriptures as revealed the morality that God has given to us and a Jew, um, is coming before this Gentile pagan and basically just rebuking him in like publicly, uh, probably in his teaching that Herod ought not to do this. And Herod, you should not be doing this. He may have actually literally said it to Herod. I think uh, Herod brought John the Baptist before him. I imagine uh, John the Baptist said it to his face. And uh, this even happens in uh, Daniel with um, Nebuchadnezzar and some of the the pagans in that story. And there's another place that's pretty big. I forget where. It might be Jeremiah before or maybe Ezekiel, one of those two, but um, it happens a lot with Babylon that they are held to the same standard that God's people are because this is objective truth binding on all human reality. It, this isn't um, just true for Christians or just true for the Jews or just true for God's people. This is true for everybody. So one big uh, change in my evangelism recently has been you don't go to people in evangelism and try to persuade them to follow Jesus or to... Um, tell them Jesus is a better option than your other options. You come before them and say Jesus is the only option. He's always been the only option and he's already the king. You just need to recognize him as king. It's not like make him king of your life, put him on the throne. It's like actually when you evangelize you just tell people, hey this is already true. This has already happened like a while when God created the earth. He already was reigning. And uh, you just alert people to the reality the objective reality that hey Jesus is already the king you ought to give him homage and bend the knee you know that's what you do in evangelism it's not a ah Jesus is a better option than others you know what I mean do you guys kind of see that difference hopefully do you at least see that Bryce no let me run through it again (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, and that would come like straight out of I mean Jesus' own mouth in Matthew twenty eight when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go. Yeah. Right? But but that doesn't mean that it was just at that point when we started when God held pagan nations to the righteous standard of his own law. I mean, because John the Baptist clearly, Let's just like it. Rocky said, clearly did it. The prophets clearly did it as they would indict Babylon, Assyria, and all these other yeah, nations. Exactly. Right? So so this is the way that Christians have really acted throughout history with Israel as well, how they would act, right? They didn't just say, oh, this is true for us. Yeah. Right? And this is kind of the directory that we see our own evangelical culture heading to where everything's it's a heart religion it's a heart religion now. You'll, you'll hear that from in songs pietism or, right sure I, oh I don't I mean I don't like that I sure. don't like that word I think piety is a good word yeah pietism used to be good but yeah in it's newest conception like what you're saying it's a heart religion it's all about sure yeah sure yeah it's a false sense of piety I sure. would call that prigism uh, not not pietism. Is that a prig? Someone's being a prig? Yeah. Which just means a self-righteous person. Prigism? Yeah, prigism. Nice. I, I just... I like piety. I don't want to give up that word. Well, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've co-opted the word. Sure, yeah. but continue. Sure. Um, so we have these priggists who will think that it is just a heart religion that is something that only occurs within the heart but never in the mind. Right? It's never something that's rational. Your faith is... Uh, faith is the, the a confident assurance... Crap, I'm trying to. I was trying, <laughs> trying to be kind of satirical with it. Um, it is a lack of confidence and essentially a leap into the dark. Um, uh-huh. And and that's the way that they view faith nowadays. But faith, like Paul says in Hebrews, is the confident assurance in things that have not yet been seen. Yeah. Right. So it's confidence. Right. And then he says in verse three, um, and by faith we know that the the uh, that the world has been created. Right. So we have access to knowledge previously of the creation of the world by faith. Yeah. Right. We gain that through faith. Right. So it's not an irrational leap into the dark. Exactly. But faith nowadays is perceived as something that is just subjective. It's just heart religion. And all the songs that you hear nowadays, it all talks about your heart, your faith in God, and it never talks about objective truth. And that is a big problem. Yeah. When our society heads down this way, when Christians stop doing that, that's when they become saltless and they aren't salt and, and preserving morality and they aren't light and revealing that morality to the society. Yeah. Right? So if we continue to complain... And, and when it when it comes to Christians not really being the salt and light, um, the real complaint needs to be be begun with ourselves and actually telling the culture to repent, telling the culture exactly. to believe in the gospel, right? Yeah. Like do what John Knox did in writing to the Queen of England and saying, you know, it's actually like not lawful at all for you to be in the position. This is not a judgment of God that you're a queen, a monarch. Right. Yeah. So we need to be people like that. We exactly. need to be the stepping stone for society as we say this is wrong. So let's go to the abortion talk. Abortion's a murderous, wicked act, and we need to be constantly vocal about that. Yeah. Same thing with homosexuality. It's the bane of society, as we've already gone over. Yep. And some people have already had their feathers rustled by that, but yeah. But these are just. I mean, that's what's going to happen. That's the only way you are salt and light. Exactly. Is that you just proclaim what God says to be true? Yeah, and it's not. Uh, well, imagine if our if our evangelism was all, um, "Hey, man, this will make you feel really good. Yeah, you should uh, follow this religion because it just is, it makes you feel awesome." Um, but they say, "But is it true?" And you yeah. say, well, I, "I don't know. It makes me feel great, though." Yeah, 
you know, what kind of evangelism is that? And yeah, you've lost all salt and light because you're just saying, do it if you feel like you want to, right. instead of you should. Jesus is the King now. Follow him or die. Yeah, that's the claim, it's, and it's, that's the radical difference between a heart religion versus a. Uh, uh, um, an object, a, a religion based in objective truth that trickles down and affects the heart and spurs the fart, <laughs> and spurs and spurs the heart to proclaim the objective truth. Yeah. Feelings are useless if they don't arouse one to go out and fight for what the objective truth. Right. If if you if your feelings are arousing you to go fight for what the spread of more feelings. That's a that's blind leading the blind. Yeah, it's not helpful. That doesn't lead anywhere. Yeah, it's it it's directly akin to the religion of methamphetamine, right? You just take meth, you feel really good for a moment, but it's never grounded. Exactly. It's never. It doesn't have any place in reality. Yeah. Um. And and that's the problem is that that's the way we see the direct the directory, um, of our culture heading, and that's really what we need to put the brakes on because we've gone off off the railroad <laughs> track. Yep, just like that. Peel out. We really need to be peeling out doing donuts. That's what we need to be doing. Yeah, parking lots. Yep. All across America. For the gospel. Which would be akin to saying abortion's murderous. Exactly. Gays are taking over the society. Yep. And they destroy it. But yeah, that's... So what we really need to start doing is not saying, hey, this is another option that would be really good for your heart. But hey, like, just like Paul said, the king of the universe is coming back. Yeah. And he will judge the living and the dead. Exactly. And that's what we proclaim. Right? Yep. All living and all the dead. It's all of it. Yep. It's everybody. It's every person. Every knee shall bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, um, I guess as we wrap up, let's not believe the myth of relativism. And let's not fall into it ourselves in our religious experience. Let's find the anchor, the root of our faith in objective reality, which is Jesus Christ, him crucified, his perfect obedience in life, him crucified, his death, burial, freeing the captives, coming back to life and victory over death, and then seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercessory prayer and being with us to the end of the age, praying for us and sustaining us and sending the Spirit into the world to convict the world of unrighteousness that uh, the world might be reconciled to him, the nations, not every individual person. That's not what I mean by world. Um, Yeah, and then, yeah, exactly. And then the whole world is saved through Christ, exactly. So that is, when you're a Christian and you live the, the Christian faith out, you that that's always the understanding. It's you got the you know biblical theology. Look at the whole story. See what see what the Bible is is telling us about the story of mankind uh, in relation to God's purposes. So let's not believe that myth. Um, we're pushing this point even further because it's very important. Objective truth must be the foundation of your faith, or you're given into emotionalism and subjectivity. It's basically the point. And that's why we see the existentialism coming out of the 18th and 19th centuries. It's all these religious teachers, like, yeah, Kierkegaard, um, who are the other guys? I mean, you have, like, more contemporary, like Karl Barth, but during that period. Yeah, Karl Barth. Um, Butler. Guy named Butler, something Butler. 
I thought he was kind of starting that too. I know Kant is kind of the anchor of all this liberal theology. Yeah, but, but not really existentialism. Yeah, in a different but then you have way. you have Nietzsche, you have all these guys like that. You have Hegel who really pushed the synthesis idea. But... Yeah, so they're all going to talk very orthodox. They'll they'll sound extremely orthodox. They'll sound exactly like how you would want them to sound. But what they mean is a subjective, emotionalistic um, Christian experience, which is not true. So. I don't even think they would sound orthodox. Like, if you read your Bible, you should just hear some of the stuff they say and just irk out already. Yeah, I guess maybe all the steps before are going to sound very orthodox. Sure. Like, when you read Kant, he uses all the words you'd want him to use. When you read um, uh, Kierkegaard, he's going to use some words that you're going to be like, man, yeah, that's exactly what I think. But then his fine again, he co-ops the word, redefines it, and then has a different conclusion to sound the part and play the part. That's why if you go onto a... Like Stephen Furtick's church, if you go on Elevation's website and you look at their statements of belief, they got a rock-solid statement of belief. It's perfectly orthodox. Is that a good church? No, he said heretical things. Uh, that's not a good church. Um, so, yeah, they're going to sound very nice. All these emotionalistic, uh, non-based Christianity churches, they're going to sound real nice. And we just need to be aware. of. Uh, we, need to, we need to be... Um, seeing the objective truth of God's word, submitting to that, and not falling into this trap of emotionalism and subjectivity of truth. And, and emotionalism is subjectivity. It just means that the authority of what is true is based on your emotions. There is a obviously there's subjectivity that's based on the human mind and human reason. That's also another form of subjectivity. But subjectivity can take in in Christian circles. It's usually the subjectivity is going to take place through a feeling emotionalism and not through uh, an actual thoughtful reasoned out faith. Usually those people that have a thoughtful reasoned out faith will usually be reformed and solid. It's most of it is uh, emotionalism that would lead uh, the religious person to be subjective. Now, somebody like an atheist materialist, their subjectivity of truth will be based on whatever they think is reasonable based on the data, the empirical data. So... Let's not fall into that trap at all in any in any way, shape, or form. And hopefully this was helpful to keep anybody from doing that. Um, any last thoughts? That was good. Yeah, that was good. Trying to keep these a little shorter, guys. We were going to 45 minutes uh, some of the last episodes. I mean, there's just a lot to talk about, but uh, hopefully we'll keep them a little shorter, more concise, and just good information in 25 minutes, 30 minutes, a good commute time. So if you're on your commute, thanks for listening. Appreciate you guys tuning into the For the King podcast. Uh, give it a rating, a review, and Apple Podcast. If that, uh, if you're inclined to do that, that would help out a lot. The search engine optimization, um, as always, if you feel compelled, you can support the podcast financially. Also, would ask for prayers that the gospel would go forth. There's people that listen to the podcast that are not Christians that do not share this worldview that Bryce and I have, and a lot of you guys have. So. Pray for this podcast that it would continue to grow if the Lord would will it. If it glorifies God, we pray that it would grow. If it does not glorify God and it's not good information, it's not helpful for the building and edification of the church and calling the sinners to repentance, then I, I would hope that it would fail. So um, that's the goal. The goal is for Christian education, Christian truth, the scriptures, and God's word and who God is to be exalted, glorified, Jesus to be set and recognized as king in this podcast. So uh, just pray for those things. Uh, check out the website at ForTheKingPodcast.com. You can always send me an email if you have any questions about the content or anything you would like to interact with at ForTheKingPodcast at gmail.com. 
Um, I think that's everything. Um, and now I need to read my doxology real quick from First Timothy. If you guys remember, I started doing that. Almost there. I'll just cut this out. Um, uh, First Timothy chapter one verse seventeen: To the King of the ages, immortal and visible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Soli Deo Gloria.